Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We begin by acknowledging the Gabi Gabi people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast episode is being recorded today and pay respects to their elders, past and present, and to their parents with children with disabilities. This podcast contains truth, laughter, and the occasional F-word, so it's not really suitable for children. Well, you probably won't hear quite so much swearing among the beans, you know. Well, yeah. Not suitable for children. Sometimes you just have to get your shits out. Shit, 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 shit. That's right, this is a language warning. Oh, shit. Hello, peas and beans. Green vegetables everywhere. How are you? I am so chuffed, you know, to be putting these conversations together. And especially to know that you are listening. Now, once again, I'm grateful to one of the P's for suggesting that I make contact with today's dad for a beanstalk. Thank you so much to those of you who have put me in touch with people to talk to. Dads, professionals, peaches, chatter peas, brothers, uncles, sons, whoever. Please keep the suggestions coming, be it in the Hangout or via Messenger or email. I do love talking with these men, and I'm finding that it means a lot to me personally, not to mention adding visibility to the somewhat invisible life of us dads. Now, you are in for a treat with this conversation. Not only will you get to meet a dad, his name is Ian Bennett, with a surprise guest appearance by his wife Tanya, and hear about their family, you will also be introduced to their amazing initiative, Dice for Diversity, role-playing Dungeons and Dragons as a safe and fun way of developing communication and social skills for neurodiverse children and adults. Ian says that they wanted this to be as untherapy as possible. For example, their participants are called adventurers, not clients. And it is fun. And it seems to make a big difference to many people. I happen to have jumped into Dungeons and Dragons myself from time to time. My daughter Catherine is a dungeon master. And it is an intriguing, challenging, sometimes hilarious, very fun thing to do. But nobody, as far as I know, has ever 
made use of the role-playing dynamic of Dungeons & Dragons in such a wonderful way. I just felt so good after talking with Ian, and I hope you will too. So here's me talking with Ian and Tanya Bennett. G'day, Ian. Hi, Gary. How are you? I'm very well, thank you for asking, and thanks very much for this. I've really been looking forward to this and having a dad-to-dad with you, so I appreciate your time. Let's start with uh, Mandy and Kate's icebreaker questions to get things going. Firstly, do you have a favourite piece of music that you go to to pick you up or that is special to you for some reason? I don't really have a favourite piece of music. I have a very eclectic uh, taste in music. Uh, It literally goes from Western, so like late 1800s through to modern stuff, Um, but I'm very partial to the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which is what I listen to in my sort of early to mid-teens, but nothing really sort of jumps out. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. And how long ago were your teens, if I may ask? They were at least 20 years, probably 25 (laughs) years ago. Okay. (laughs) It's nice to be able to go back occasionally, isn't it? Just once in a while, yes. Uh, All right. Well, let's move on to the second question then. Did you win any awards in school? Uh, I had a thought about this. I won a couple of Northern Rivers Achievement Awards for their maths competition, but it's because I worked out that if you didn't answer questions, they wouldn't me- measure them as being wrong, which was great. Um, <laughs> but outside of that, I didn't really win any awards at school. And reflecting on the life I've led and the people I meet every day at the moment, it's probably because I had ADD, ADD ADHD. Uh, it's undiagnosed, but I almost certainly have, have it. Um, and I had it as a kid. So my concentration levels... Uh, to win awards uh, would have been awful. Wow. And, of course, you know, there's a reason for that question because it is such a big deal for many of us and for our children and uh, it opens up all kinds of uh, areas to talk about. But thank you for that. So you were not obviously diagnosed and did you sense at the time as a teenager that something was different? Uh, No, I because, you know, I was a a child and a teenager in the 80s and 90s, I, um, my father was very much of the fact that, uh, of the opinion that if I had too much energy and my brother had too much energy, we had to go outside and either weed the lawn or mow the lawn or go for a ride or yep. go down the oval or do something sporty. So I never really had the opportunity to sort of sit around and not do anything. So it didn't, I didn't really notice. I just knew I wasn't able to concentrate well at school and I wouldn't, I wouldn't do the work I require that was required of me in class. I'd sort of start late and then produce something really good, but it was sort of two to three weeks late by that time, um, mm. so I'd lose marks and my marks are terrible. Mm. Well, we, we may be able to get into how that's played into your adult life and being a dad as well when we come to that, but let's do the third question for now. So why would you be described as a bean? Uh, I would be described as a being because I have a, I like to describe it loosely as a very complex home life. Okay. (laughs) 
Okay. My, let's, let's hear about your home life. So uh, I have three children and a wife. Uh, my wife uh, received a brain injury a few years ago from a workplace accident. Um, and she hasn't been able to drive for almost three years. Um, my daughter, who is why I'm really a bean, she uh, was born. She's my middle child. Um, and she was born full term, um, but had an enormous amount of health complications. And on top of that, she has trisomy 21. Um, and so we spent a lot of time in and out of hospital um, with her. Uh, and uh, at the moment she's probably still our biggest challenge, although our boys have behaviour issues reflected of the trauma they've faced through her situation. Um, but she's done enormously well um, for where she's come from. So so this is Mackenzie? This is right? Mackenzie, yes. Okay, and you have two boys as well? Yes, uh, I have an older boy who's almost 17 and a younger who's almost 11. Okay, thank you. Well, look, let's meet Mackenzie first. Shall we do that? I'd like to try to do that up front. Uh, if I was to meet Mackenzie now, who am I meeting? What's Mackenzie like? Mackenzie is a newly 15-year-old uh, girl who has more sass than three-quarters of the millennials <laughs> in the world put together. Um, <laughs> she's at mainstream Catholic school, um, and killing it while she's there. Um, she's had a very difficult education uh, journey. Um, one of the schools we went to, we took to the Human Rights Commission, so that was fun, um, but I won't go into those details. Um, the school is amazing with her though. Um, they've got a program there that she's, um, I would say utilising very well so she, she can read at a grade three or four level, which is amazing for her. Um, and, yeah, she's just she's, – she wants to be more socially active, um, but she's also got a brain injury, so she can't really get around so much. Um, so one side of her body doesn't really work as well as the other side. Um, so while she wants to be social, she also doesn't want to go anywhere. Uh, which is a fun quandary. Mm. And and what's this young lady like? What what is what you know lights her eyes up? What does she really like to do? She likes to watch YouTube um, and TikTok and, and Disney movies. She's very into the Disney princesses. Um, we went to Disneyland a few years ago, so wow. She, she talks about that. Yeah, just before COVID, we were very lucky. Um, and she talks about that trip uh, a lot. Um, okay. Mm. All right. Well, thanks for that. That's a great intro. You you mentioned the Human Rights Commission. We probably don't need to go there, but uh, you've had some dealings with the legal and human rights profession, haven't you, over the years? Yes. We, um we had a 10-year medical negligence case against uh, the health system here, um, which was... And that's in the ACT. Yeah, right? in Canberra, yeah. It was pretty harrowing. Um, but it also gave us a lot of insight into her and her capability. And mm. during it, we found she had an acquired brain injury. So that was sort of extended the case a few more years um, as the injury allegedly, let's say, 
happened under the care of ACT Health. Um, so I can give you a little bit of detail of her sort of early health stuff if you'd like. Yeah, let's let's hear her story. Yeah. So Mackenzie was born full term, uh, about four kilos, um, which which essentially saved her life. So we had a very high number for trisomy 21, um, which is Down syndrome, if people don't know, um, at the 12-week scan. And because both my wife and I had worked with people with T21 uh, and had worked with people with disabilities, we didn't think this was much of an issue. So we continued on the pregnancy and then it was confirmed uh, at the 20-week scan Um but and then and so we sort of continued on. Um, so she was born term. She was born almost four kilos, which worked really well in her favour because the the cord is wrapped around her neck twice, which saved her because oh, most people with wow. uh, T twenty one have weak neck muscles, and she potentially could have died in uh, like in the birthing, but didn't. Um, she came out extraordinarily purple, um, mm. and. From there, it was a pretty wild ride. Um, she eventually, we were at uh, the local private hospital uh, and she ended up going to their special care nursery and her saturation was awful um, and she moved to uh, the, the local, like the Canberra Hospital, which is sort of the big hospital for our large country town that we have. Um, and she was there for... Six weeks, uh, and in that six weeks, she had a bowel surgery, uh, an emergency bowel surgery because her bowel had basically disintegrated. Um, so uh, she had a stoma. She had two stomas. One was a distal stoma and then one was a working stoma, um, and she had that for six weeks in Canberra, and then she got chopped to Sydney um, in severe heart failure because she also had a complete AVSD, which is basically the central wall in your heart doesn't exist. Um, and so she got dropped to Sydney. She was there for two weeks while they put the team together that they needed and then they did the heart surgery, which was a success, which we were very happy with. Um, and then she was there for two more weeks and then came home for a couple more weeks and ended up coming home on her 90th day, which was interesting. Ian, that's a harrowing story. Now, you, you already had a son at this point, a young boy. So were you and Tanya able to be with Mackenzie through this whole period or how did you do that together? So thankfully we had a lot of support from family. We had uh, our son's godmother come down from Newcastle for two months. Um, she took basically took her life offline, came down for two months and spent two months with him. Um, wow. and, and we can't thank her enough for that. And that allowed both Tanya and I to be cotside while we could, um, and which was great for Mackenzie as well. So we did as much as we could with her, but there's only so much you could do. And we were very naive. Like when she was four days old, she got she went downhill quite badly, and then she got moved to the desk. She got moved from bay three to bay one. And to a really nice bed right near the head nurse's station, mm -hmm. um, which we you thought, oh, great, that's just a really good view, not realising she was at the head nurse's station for a reason. Yeah. Um, and then she had surgery three days later and then we couldn't really do anything with her for another few weeks because 
they essentially opened her abdomen from one side to the other and, um, and yeah, you couldn't do anything, you couldn't pick her up. Like the nurses had to do everything. Um, and in, in this time I felt entirely useless. Did my you? wife, my wife was providing breast milk. Um, nurses were doing all the cares and I was literally doing nothing. So, but you, but you were there, weren't you? I was there. Um, which I was, I, I was pretty sad to see that there wasn't a lot of dads around. Um, that sort of pop in and pop out. That said, most of the kids were not anywhere near as, as sick as Mackenzie was. Um, but she had a, a stoma and I asked the stoma nurse, because there was one stoma nurse, I said, can I learn how to do it? Okay. So I could actually do something and be useful. And so I ended up doing all her stoma care. Oh, good for on when you, I was there. Yeah, and it was, it was challenging because it was gross. Um, it was essentially her food coming straight out into a, into a bag and it was mm. just gross. Um, but I did that and eventually when we got to Sydney, I did that in Sydney as well because the materials they were using weren't as good or they didn't work as good as the stuff we were getting out of Canberra, so we got stuff sent up from Canberra. Um, but, yeah, so I was there all the time, every day, um, because we were able to do that. And that was for the first, I think, four weeks and then I had to go back to work for two weeks. And then she got chopped to Sydney, so then I was in Sydney for a month. And my work was excellent about that. They just said, do what you need to do and that's fine. And, of course, that in many cases that may be the reason why some of the dads aren't there or they just don't have the option. Uh, Absolutely, yep. But on the other hand, good on you. Um, I think Tanya's sitting with you there at the moment. Are you there, Tanya? <clears throat> yes, I am. Okay. I mean, you just heard your husband say that he felt useless and I totally understand that and from a dad's perspective we often feel like a fifth wheel we wonder what <laughs> what we're supposed to do but I'll bet uh from your perspective it was it meant so much to have just have him there whatever was happening oh absolutely just to have um someone there when stuff would happen because it was happening stuff would happen with Mackenzie literally all day like her sat to go up and down her blood pressure or you know, what's the new thing that's going to be wrong with her sort of thing. And just to have in there to go, oh, my God, what are we going to do? How are we going to get through this? And have each other to to, to support each other to get through it. And um, what Ian didn't say is the hospital, um, I was an inpatient at the hospital post-birth for 17 days. Mm. So I was allowed on site and I was in um, what they call a boarding room. And um, so I was there 24-7 and much later on, years after, I was speaking to um, her main doctor who, who was brilliant, um, Dr. Zizorka Keski's amazing, and I said, um, we found it strange that I was there for so long and she said we needed you there to make decisions because Mac was so um, sick. so sick and so, what's the word I want to, I want to use like... Um, um, not unstable, but do you know what I mean? She was critical. She was so critical. Yes. yes. And even though we lived um, probably at that, well, there was lots of roadworks at the time, probably about 45 minutes drive, even though now it's 20 minutes because all the roadworks are completed um, <laughs> from the hospital. So I was there to do that. And Ian just coming in, me knowing that our son was taken care of and, you know, just knowing that that stuff was done took a huge 
pressure off me and let me focus on her. And then when he came in, he'd come in every afternoon after work and stay for a few hours and just would just sit there and be there and talk to her. And we got very friendly with the nurses. Yes, you do, don't you? (laughs) And other parents and other parents sitting there. And we had a couple of, there was a couple of few couples that were there, interstate couples, but, yeah, it was mostly mums that were there. And um, dad's popping in, as you say, work and other commitments and other children. Lots of, we were blessed that we had a family here and friends that were able to step in and help us. And we, we've appreciated that from the very beginning and always go back to how grateful we are for our family. That we could, that's what got us through, I think. So you, you, her name is Mackenzie. You call her Mac, is that right? She likes to call herself I- Mac B. okay so tell us uh, you get mac home after this dreadful ordeal and and yet the wonder and joy of having her alive when she may not have been how did things begin to settle into a routine at home where she came home on 12 medications uh and she had a broviac line uh that had been uh closed off Hip locked. So basically that went straight into her heart. Um, and on day three, she pulled it out. Um, oh, <laughs> so I was at work yeah. by this time uh, and I got a panicked phone call from Tanya saying, uh, she's pulled out a line, what should we do? <laughs> um, and it turned out because uh. it's it's that's the vein, I think it is, that oh, returns yeah. back to the heart. It wasn't much of an issue because the pressure isn't as high. Um, but yeah, so that was gone after three days. Um, and then that sort of, that started our journey of in and out of hospital. So Mm. because, uh, she had a lower immunity anyway, uh, we ended up, uh, I think we averaged, we averaged it at a, a week per month for the next six and a half years in and out of hospital. Um, so, you know, our oldest would come home with a sniffle and she'd get pneumonia. And then if she got pneumonia, she'd end up either in Canberra for two weeks or she'd get flown to Sydney. Of course. So that also then set up a circle of trauma for our son because he never knew if mum or Mackenzie would be around. Um, yeah, so he'd, he'd go to sleep. And then Mackenzie would get sick or something would happen and then mum and Mackenzie wouldn't be there for like three or four days. So that was terrible he's for him. He's 17 now. Uh, he's almost 17, yeah. Seven, almost 17. Yeah. What a what a experience for him. Is he okay? How is he these days? He is an amazing human. Um, he, he has... Uh, complex PTSD from it, um, which doesn't Mm. um, particularly help his cognitive stuff sometimes, Um, Mm. but his emotional intelligence is through the roof. Um, He's just a fantastic human. And I think, you know, I've said this to people, I wouldn't wish what happened to us and Mackenzie on anyone um, because it was really, really hard and really traumatic, but... It's got us to where we are today, um, which is in a, actually a really good spot. 
Is that right? Yeah. So. Ex- explain that. <laughs> so when COVID really kicked off, we were also, just before it really kicked off here, we were in the US and we were in Disneyland for days uh, and it was Chinese New Year and there were people everywhere and there was no sanitization or anything like that. So I think we were very, very lucky to dodge that bullet because the day we flew out of Anaheim was the first day they recorded a case. And we get back here and then sort of six weeks later we get a phone call from the paediatrician saying, uh, Mackenzie is on our list of people we need to contact. What is your COVID plan? And we went, ha, COVID plan? No, what's that? Um, And she went, if she gets it, she'll probably die so you can't go to work and she can't go to school. And so we were in lockdown before everything went into lockdown for sort of two and a bit months and we were home for 14 weeks. And I think because we had to be so isolated in her first six and a half, seven years, that that wasn't really a problem for us. Wow. We were used to staying at home and being homebodies and it didn't really affect us. Like, sure, you couldn't go out and stuff, but we didn't do that anyway. Um, We'd sort of already been trained to be homebodies. And she, in particular, thrived even in homeschooling, which Tanya and I, oh, hated. Um, Because we learned that (laughs) we had three kids. Actually, we had our nephew staying with us as well. So we had four kids, none of which who wanted to go to school or do any schoolwork. Um, But we learned that if she learnt in isolation with like one-on-one, even with video and the teacher, she could read. And she went up, I think it was 12 reading levels in 14 weeks. It was just amazing. That's amazing, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, we got COVID a few weeks ago and you get the message saying, oh, are you you contemplating suicide? How are you feeling mentally? And we all had it and we were all fine. I I think the trauma that we went through in the early days has actually helped us enormously later in life. Um, Going through what we did with Mackenzie certainly gave us a very different perspective on what matters in life. Um, And and it it gave us a, a much higher capacity to manage issues and manage things that would stress people out. That's amazing, Ian. You've mentioned your youngest son just briefly. How's he in all this? Is he okay? He's very much. Oh, he's a, he's very funny. Um, he has the same trauma issues as his older brother, pretty much. Um, the however, PTSD. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but he doesn't see his sister having a, a disability at all. So if she won't do her jobs because she has chores, because that's what have people have to do. If she won't do her jobs, he'll he'll blow up and say there's nothing wrong with her. She's only got Down syndrome and an acquired brain injury. She can still do her jobs, which is the most inclusive thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, it's a little confronting, sure, but he doesn't he doesn't see her disabilities uh, and her issues as an, as a problem. He just thinks she can get on and do it because he's seen her do it. And when she doesn't want to do it, it's because she doesn't want to. It's not like she can't. <laughs> and the three of them get on well, by the sound of it? They, yes. 
They are like, even though the youngest is only almost 11, they are like three teenage triplets. They just, it's a little a little bit like is it the Three Stooges where they just constantly have a go at each other. Um, and, and Mackenzie usually drives it. She she pokes the bear all the time just for a laugh, uh, which is funny sometimes. Um, and then as a parent, highly frustrating at other times. Um, but that's just part of her personality, and that's not something we want to we want to quash because she'll need that growing up. She'll need to be sassy, and she'll need to be proactive in what she wants to do. Mm. Well, um, yeah. just to say, the the biggest reason for that is the statistics around. Uh, females with disabilities and um, uh, I don't know what we're, having something happen to them, sexually assaulted or abused or, or, or indeed abused and assaulted, are in the 90s. So we figured if we can make her sassy and, um, well, not make her, she is, but, you know, encourage that sassiness and that forthrightfulness and, and give her a voice and let her have her voice, then when we're not around, that, that's what's going to be to protect her, you know. Yeah, Silence yeah. is often the best friend of an abuser and Mac has, yeah, Mac, Mac will tell us what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's why we don't quash that, although some days we... We wish we did. We um. <laughs> question our thoughts. <laughs> Now, Ian, you went into fatherhood, like all of us, completely ignorant of what was coming. You Were you looking forward to being a dad? How did you get on with your dad? It's interesting. I've only recently reconnected with my dad and my mum for the first time in almost 11 years, and that was due oh. to, yeah, look, there was there's a whole bunch of issues there that we don't really need to go into. <laughs> um, okay. My dad... Uh, I would say he was he was quite strict and he he didn't particularly like us mucking around all the time in the house. So we were he was we were very much outside. Like I knew I knew he loved me, um, but we were very much outside kids. You know, go and ride your bike for a day, or just get down the oval, or get out. And because he was a very busy man himself, um, but. I don't know whether that set me in good stead for an adult relationship. Um, I don't think it really did. And as much as I love him and uh, and my childhood wasn't bad, like well, I wasn't ever abused or anything like mm-hmm. that and like I have very, very fond memories of my childhood, I think um, I very much try to make my children know that I love them. Um, even though my youngest wants to talk to me about Minecraft for 48 hours every day and <laughs> I can't get my head around Minecraft <laughs> and all the extra stuff he, he talks about, I, I do try to ensure that even if I say, look, please, I just can't deal with this at the moment, I do love you, I just can't deal with this. So um, it's an interesting question. Um I get along all right with my dad now, but we just we didn't talk for a number of years um, due to some issues that came up, um, and that is, I think, something we regret a bit. I think well, both of us regret on, on both sides. So, um, but we're sort of rebuilding that relationship now. 
Well, it sounds like you're making a great fist of being a dad yourself. Let's let's move on to talk about dice for diversity because this this is just something that the peas are going to love if they haven't heard about it. And um, so, can you give us a quick rundown? What is this? So, dice for diversity <laughs> is a uh, a service that we provide um, that provides social inclusion uh, training through role play. So. Um, a number or would have been about five or six years ago, I started playing Dungeons and Dragons and realized that my communication skills were getting better. Like my communication skills aren't bad, um, but they were getting better and I was doing a lot more talking and stuff. And it's a really fun and exciting game to play if you can play it right. And so then I got my son and his mates into playing it. And I could see in there. So for those who don't know, it's, it's it's all about role playing and fulfilling a task, isn't it? Yes. Essentially, it's you could call it a uh, Lord of the Rings role playing game, although there is actually a Lord of the Rings role playing game out as well. But um, it is role playing. So you, the, the players play as main characters in sort of a fantasy movie um, or a fantasy adventure, and they have to interact with societies and communities that they normally wouldn't have to and they have to um, like fight dragons and monsters and things but they can also negotiate with those kind of creatures as well so um, I found when I started playing this for my oldest uh, and his mates their communication skills started getting better and then this this went along for a little bit and then our aforementioned court case uh, finished after 10 years and I had this massive hole in my brain space, we can call it, I think, of what can I do now? Like this, the, the last sort of two years of the court case just took up so much energy and, and mind space. And I thought, what if I could use Dungeons and Dragons as a platform to help people communicate? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Better. And so I did a little bit of trial and error um, and then I started to write a program um, and um, using the trial and error and the, the kids I was sort of practicing with, it gave me a lot of insight into a whole bunch of behavioural issues um, for people on the spectrum and just people with ADHD um, and, and other neurodiverse people. And, and so I wrote this, like, long, lengthy program. Uh, and I was meant to start in sort of February 2020, which clearly that didn't happen. Um, so we ended, ended up kicking off in September 2020, and we are going very strong, I think, at the moment. So to go back to the basics of what it is, what we provide is a, a safe place where people with uh, diverse needs and neurodiverse people can learn how to interact with other people. 
They can widen their social network. They'll get to have genuine conversations with, we call them NPCs, so non-player characters, but things like um, barkeepers and merchants and kings and sort of even beggars and, and people like that they wouldn't normally get to talk with. And so they, they get to view the whole scope and the range of society and learn how to deal with those parts differently if they want to or if they want to deal with them the same way, which usually doesn't end well, um, <laughs> they can and do usually that. usually having fun along the way. I oh, imagine. yeah, absolutely. Um, funnily enough, we, when we had COVID a few weeks ago, my in-laws came and sat in the, the shop that we've got and they sat out the front and they said, after 16 months of you doing this as as a, as a service, as a business, we finally understand what it's really about because they sat there and they could hear because they, they, they opened up so my other um, adventure guides could run the stories and they said you could just hear the kids laughing and talking and, you know, enjoying themselves so much in a safe environment. And is this for children and adults? Yes. So we, at the moment, we're running My Little Pony from six-year-olds up to 12-year-olds and Dungeons and Dragons from eight all the way to adults. I think our oldest uh, adventurer uh, was in her mid-60s. Wow. I mean, it just sounds to me like this is one of those ideas you hear and you think, why is this a new idea? Why hasn't this been around for, for so long? It makes so much sense. Are there other programs like this elsewhere or that you're aware of? There are a few around. Um, there's, we, we do a very specific program. So we've um, done some huge changes to the way Dungeons & Dragons is played. So we're still using the same sort of platform. They still get the same environment um, to do the adventure in, but we've made it much, much easier for the adventurers to play so then they can focus on the social side of it. Um, and at the moment we, we've written a story specific to our program to ensure that all the adventurers get the same kind of social interactions um, as each other. And we have targeted, um, targeted principles that we try to, well, we're not try, we definitely do, um, we put into the program and into the story so they can all get the same sort of understanding about what happens. Um, and we've adapted it. We've adapted our program and the game heavily to make it easier to access. And is this available only in Canberra? At, at the moment, yes. So um, we've been running for about four months when ABC Canberra did a story on us. That uh, was back early 2021. And we had interest across Australia and uh, overseas to run our program. Um but because we're only four months old, we were not expecting such a huge uh, interest. Um, and so we weren't prepared for that. So we basically, we made the decision to focus on our Canberra groups um, and we've done that and we now have six, I think, six adventure guides who work for us every week um, and they run, we run sessions six days a week. But we can do online groups as well. So we had last year we had a group out of Bendigo, um, and we've got, and they were great. 
and it was really, really good. And we've got another few people who sort of dial in every week from around New South Wales. Um, but we certainly prefer face-to-face because face-to-face is, is paper-based, so there's no screens in our sessions, um, which also the parents are very happy with because it's no screens for two to three hours. Yes, yes, interesting. Um, and online is very, very difficult um, because mm. they don't. we can't really do the program the way we want to, but we certainly are happy to do online if, if the, the demand is there. Now, I think one of the things that led you to start this idea or conceive of it was uh, I saw a video of you and Mackenzie with a group of people talking about issues relating to Down syndrome. Is that right? That is correct, yes. Uh, yes, so we we went to Sydney to do uh, a series of interviews um, about the issues surrounding people with, with Down syndrome and it was amazing. The people we got to meet... And the people in the videos, they were so inspiring. And I don't want to say make that sound like it in a really sappy way, but they were yeah. they achieved, they did everything we wanted Mackenzie to do. Um, and we came away from that just in awe of these guys. And we were on the way home back down to Canberra and we were talking about what could we do to get Mackenzie to that point. Um, and most of their skill, like they had a lot of skill and they had really good communication skills. And so we were discussing how as great as the speech therapy she was getting was, it wasn't getting her to where she needed to be. Mm. So that sort of set the idea off of how do I, how do I make people who can't communicate well communicate better and, and because, you know, speech therapy gets you sort of, it gives you a script and by the age of sort of seven or eight, the kids are over the script and they haven't got any further. So, and, and it's not a two-sided conversation. It's more of a, hi, I'm Ian. Oh, what's your name? Oh, it's Gary. Oh, Gary, how are you? And so we developed a way to give them conversations where they have a target to get to which is what most conversations do. If you have an interacting mm, conversation with mm. a merchant, you want to go from A to B, and B is usually to buy your product or buy their product at a good price. Yes. So we that was part of the strategy of how we wrote the program to give genuine conversations with genuine reactions. So if someone, because we can do it in a safe space and the the problem sits inside the story. If someone is aggressive towards a merchant, then the merchant will jack up the price. And when the person goes, well, why are you jacking up the price? The merchant will say, well, because you're being rude to me. And and it's a very simple lesson to teach, um, but it's a very effective lesson to teach as well. So, it, yeah, it was a genuine conversation that we're trying to produce and get understanding of the social contract and all the fun parts about community and communication. And your three children, do they role play as well? Uh, yes, we use a, sim- a simpler game for Mackenzie, but the, the two boys certainly uh, play D and D. The oldest one, I'm trying to get to run sessions for me, but that's a different story. <laughs> He's 16. He doesn't well, particularly want to do anything, so.
If anyone's interested to get more information, we'll put links to that video that you're talking about in Sydney and Dice for Diversity in our show notes. And of course, you can search for that yourself as well. Ian, you sound like you're fairly happy with the way it's developing. Uh, I am very, it's, it's a little scary, um, to be honest. I, at this point, I never thought it would be as big as it, it is. Like we started off in community centre rooms and then they were very expensive. So we moved to scout halls and then unfortunately scouts kept wanting to use their own scout halls. So it really limited when we could run sessions. Uh, and so then we had to hire a premises. Um, so we've hired a premises and tripled the amount of sessions that we were running when we were still in the scout halls. Um, and that sort of means that we can help more people and helping more adventurers also helps their families as well. So mm. what we've tried to build, and I think we're well, still on the way, we haven't, we haven't been fully successful, successful yet, but we're definitely getting there, is to build a community that supports each other as well. So the parents can sit and chat in our waiting room. We've got a table if they want to do work. They can sit around and chat. They can do craft in the afternoon like they do on a Saturday um, and just talk about stuff about their kids in a non-judgmental space. So even though all so, of our kids don't yeah. have the same issues at the same levels, we all have kids or people who we care for who have issues. So... There's big discussions about, you know, um, education and for the older ones for work and a bunch of stuff. And it's just and it's just a really nice community that we're building so people can feel supported yet still get a bit of respite as well. Ian, I'm just listening listening to you talk and I'm remembering about 30 minutes ago you describing how you felt useless as a dad. <laughs> and and, and and I know you don't mean that you feel or felt useless in a broader sense, but at those particular moments where there wasn't much you could actually do, you sought out what you could do and you did that and you were present, which, let's face it, means so much more than we give it credit for. But here you are now doing this. Uh, you know, congratulations to you and Tanya for such a, an extraordinary initiative. And it just sounds to me like the bee's knees for so many people. It, thank you, firstly. Um, it is the top priority for most of our adventurers during their week. So some parents use it as a bribe um, and some parents sort of use uh, attendance to our, our sessions as a way to get their kids to do things as well. But what we've been overwhelmingly been told is the parents are having far better conversations with their kids. Their kids want to talk to them. Um, they, even though mums and dads don't know much about Dungeons and Dragons for the most part, the kids come out of the sessions and they're doing more talking about this than they are on anything else. Um, and... And when the parents, they've, they've put up a bunch of reviews for us on Facebook and they sort of, they're a bit teary. <laughs> um, and I and I, yeah. I have those tears of sort of joy when I read them. And while that sounds a bit sappy, um, I've got to say since I've become a parent, 
I cry way more than I ever did uh, as a yeah. young man. Um, anyway, um, the effects that what we do have on their children, the positive effects and what they've seen, it just it makes everything everything worth it. Like the sessions aren't particularly easy because we've got usually four to five neurodiverse people in a room who all want to have their say at the same time um, and that can be difficult. Um, but the responses from the parents and the families and the kids themselves for the most part is just it's fantastic and it just shows that what we're trying to build is working um, and... And the skills that these kids are gaining are really helping them in their lives, which is exactly what we want us to do. You know, a big part of the dynamic for many of the peas and the beans is negotiating the dynamic between themselves as partners or as parents uh, sharing this role. And for many of them, of course, they're on their own. They don't have a partner. So you and Tanya, how's it been for the two of you? How have you negotiated the journey so far? We, <laughs> uh, to be honest, I think we were very lucky to find each other um, because Tanya had been working in disability for 10 years by the time I'd met her. And, um, and she was working as a disability employment officer, coordinator, <laughs> A case manager. So essentially helping people with diverse needs get into jobs and keep those jobs in mainstream workplaces. Um, and so when we found out we were going to have Mackenzie, uh, we basically, two months before she was born, we sort of turned to each other. It was really weird. We turned to each other and said, look, we think we're having a girl. We think she's got Down syndrome and her name's going to be Mackenzie. And that was two months out. And it, it happened. So we just had this feeling. But we we went through a lot um, in those first six years and it was very, very hard. But Tanya would keep researching for better things to do because we were doing therapies and they weren't working. So Tanya would research and spend her nights researching and I'd be doing cooking and I'd be, well, in the first six years actually she was on um, formula. So that was great. Uh, yeah. turns out though, with her brain injury, being on formula wasn't great because she was drowning every time she drank because she couldn't swallow properly. Um, so, you know, that caused a whole bunch of other issues, but, um, but when we got to a point and Mackenzie was falling behind her T21 peers and we were thinking there must be more, there's got to be more going on than just Down syndrome. So Tanya was doing this research and I was doing all everything else. I was doing the cooking. I was doing the cleaning. I was doing the looking after Mackenzie when I was home because Tanya would obviously do it during the day. And so Tanya started researching a whole bunch of stuff that was very um, outside the box and we were finding things that would work really well and we, we tried them and, and they worked really well. But then we also found that we were getting ostracised out of the communities we were in, not our friend communities but the social communities, uh, because we were doing weird stuff and we apparently hated Down syndrome and uh, why would you do this? This is too hard. And and we didn't think it was too hard and Mackenzie didn't particularly like it at the start but she got used to it and she would never be where she is now if we weren't doing those kind of things. And they were out outside of the box, definitely outside of the box. 
but that's what kept us together because we had we were always striving. Yeah, we, we were had the same goal. Yeah, we always had the same goal of because because we both worked with people with disabilities and we knew what they could do in the workplace. We knew that we could push Mackenzie to a certain point. So at, she, when she becomes an adult, she can feel like she's part of the community because she will go and have a job. And that's our plan. She, we want her to go out and work in a workplace so she can feel part of, feel as a contributing part of the community, um, which is why she's in mainstream school because then she's a part of the community and she's out there in the community, gets used to her, and that actually helps everyone else with a disability in the community. Um, but we, we stuck together because we had to, mm-hmm. really. Like, we just had to do the job and we did and she wouldn't be where she is now if we hadn't done that. I think just to say also it's because we had that common goal with Max. So we know the statistics very much are um, because we were given all the stats when Mackenzie was born that, you know, Chances are we're going to split up. Chances are she's going to, you know, all the she'll have siblings that, you know, will have a worse life than if she didn't have a disability. All of those negative facts. And I think Ian and I are both very stubborn by nature. And I think we have a sign in our house that's been there since I don't even know where we found it or how we got it that says the one pleasure in life is doing um, is the... The biggest pleasure in life is doing what others tell you you can't do. Yeah, and that's pretty much driven us hasn't it yeah in with Mackenzie with her therapy we do a very you know very alternate neurodiverse um, neurodiverse therapy um looking at neuroplasticity where we did lots of um creeping and crawling and crossing the midline and flashcards and change her diet and we do supplements and all these things and it's worked for Mackenzie because she has a brain injury and she has other very complex health issues and gut issues and there's so much we could spend hours talking about her health. It's just very long. She's had 65 surgeries and she's only 15. Um, and I think that's what's kept us together is that common goal of of wanting the best for not, not just Mac but for our boys as well, don't you think? Yeah. There's definitely been times where we, we wanted to split up. We were just too tired. To, <laughs> one of us wanted to do it. Mm. Yeah. Look, look, thanks for joining us, Tanya. That was a bonus that I wasn't expecting. You, you're, Sorry. You're, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I mean it. You're, um, you're acquired brain injury. How are you doing? Um, yeah. I, well, you're not dead. I'm not dead, which so they thought I was. Three, I, I got hit in the side of the um, head, the right temple, by um, a door going into my building and... Um, and, um, it, was a, three, it was a bulletproof security gate. Yes. <laughs> and um, mm. three days later I ended up in A&E, which they thought was well, I was having an embolism or a stroke. And so you can imagine Ian and I with our medical history in A&E both laughing our heads off about how hysterical this is and just calm down doctors as if I'm dying um, when I couldn't even pass a concussion test. <laughs> so, um, And so that was uh, 2019. 2019? Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm still in the process with work, trying to work, and it's just really difficult. I love work. I love my work team. Again, my employer's fantastic, but I'm just slowly discovering that I I can't work and then be the quality parent that I need to be. Um, Actually, I can't work and do anything else. So 
um, we're looking and I'm doing all the things we're doing for our daughter, so I'm back into researching when I can about what we did for Mac with her brain injury. <laughs> and it's silly like we've just reset the wheel. And um, and thankfully with Dice for Diversity Gaming and Ian no longer working in um, in in the public service, um, we'll have that ability to, to do that during the day and do some rehab for me and hopefully get me back to being able to, to you know, be a mum again that I want to be and the, the wife and the, you know, helping in the business and stuff and a friend because I feel like I'm a terrible friend as well. So, yeah, it's been a big impact. But what it has given me, I will say, Gary, is it's given me insight into Mackenzie and I think into a, a lot of other people with neurodiverse, because I have a brain injury, my executive functioning is what's impacted and, you know, you're a bean, so, you know, having a child or a, 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 someone you care for who does have is neurodiverse, they keep talking about the executive functioning skills and I really truly now understand that for our daughter and why sometimes she'll say, no, 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 I don't want to do it. It doesn't mean she doesn't want to do it. It means she doesn't know how to get started. She wants to do it but she doesn't know how to do it. Does that make sense? And that insight has really helped us also with our business because I'm constantly saying to everybody, like, just because they're saying no doesn't mean... They mean no, it means that they need more support in getting started or asking why. Why are they saying no? Why don't they want to do it? No doesn't always mean um, they can't do something, which is what often happens in the world of disability. As soon as the word no is found, oh, they don't want to do it, we'll give them an iPad or we'll distract them with something else, it's all too hard. And me having that brain injury has helped us, you know, Understand. understand that more and particular stamina I think because it does it's very exhausting um, with a brain injury I, I get Mackenzie's stamina is something that's always been a factor for her <clears throat> and um, I understand now more it's not that she's tired you know oh, she's just so tired and doesn't want to do it she's she's not tired her brain is literally needs to shut down she's at capacity and she needs a break so that's been very helpful. Yeah. Look, what I find with these sorts of conversations, and there are many people listening right now who have, I think, benefited from your hospitality. You've invited us into just a brief experience with you, with your life, with your family, your struggles, and all the things that have made that up to this point. And it's like being on sacred ground, if we can use that term. It, it's a very special place to be. So thank you so much to both of you. I I feel like, you know, every time I have these conversations, I become something more of a better person just from hearing someone else's perspective. So, uh, Ian, you're a bloody good dad, mate. Thank you for what you do and for sharing some of that today. Tanya, thanks for joining in as well. I'm and sorry, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to say You're anything very else. welcome, Tanya. You're very welcome. And all the very best with your family, with your, your children's experiences, but also with Dice for Diversity and all of the connections you're making with so many people there. Thank you for talking to us today. No, thank, thank you very much, Gary, for reaching out. Um, I was actually very surprised that someone sort of outside of Canberra had really <laughs> heard of us. Um, <laughs> yes, one of the P's said, uh, you should talk to this dad. And so I said, yes, absolutely, I should. 
Um, but yeah, no, thank you very much. Um, and yeah, it's been a very, very difficult journey for us. Um, but you know, if we hadn't been through all the stuff we went through, mm-hmm. um, I don't think we'd be anywhere near where we are today, like mentally, especially. Um, and I just want to also say that as a male, I was very, very glad that I had a group of friends who I could turn to, a group of guys who would just let me talk if I needed to. Um, sometimes I would just talk at them and they would be great and they would just listen and they'd have questions, but they there was no judgment in there as well. And, and if there's dads listening out there, if you can find people who will just listen to you, it is so much better for your mental health to get stuff out of your head and off your chest. Um, it makes a huge difference. And even if you don't think you can do that, you can definitely do that. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm happy if people need to talk. Um, I'm happy if they want to email us uh, out of the blue and just say, hey, need someone to chat to, can you chat? And I'm willing to talk to anyone. I have no judgment. Um, I've been <laughs> yep. in bad places as well um, and I would love to help people. That's what we're doing our business for. So, um, yeah, so the offer's there if people want to email us. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Tanya. This has been great. Thanks, Gary. Uh, Thank you, Gary. So that's our episode, Ian and Tanya Bennett. I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. And listen, once again, can I remind you, peas and beans out there, it's not that easy, to be honest, to find dads or men involved at all in the pea community to talk with, not because necessarily that they are reluctant, sometimes they are, but it's mostly that I just don't know them and I don't have contact. So please don't feel hesitant at all. Letting me know or letting Kate and Mandy know of a suggestion, it may not come off. The person you suggest may not be willing or we just may not be able to proceed, whatever, but I really always appreciate any advice or any suggestions so that we can keep these conversations going. Thanks for listening. It's been nice to be with you. We'll talk again soon. Bye for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.